Hello, everybody. Welcome to our podcast over here. Daniel Rickman here. I'm fortunate to be your mayor in this, this capital city, sometimes called Soda City or Cola or bad names when you're stuck in traffic. But other than that, we're really excited to be here today. I have my good friend, Laddie Howard, one of our most influential young entrepreneurs and you know, Laddie, you've had so many jobs. I'm not sure what I call you. You're a serial entrepreneur. I think that's what I should call you, a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, you know, it takes one to know one. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in the studio today, and we're just we're going to talk about Columbia. We're going to have some conversations. You know, there's so much going on in our community. We're excited. One of the things that we really want to make sure is that we highlight, tell our story. At every level at city government, we've all we've been talking about is telling our story, that we don't do a good job about telling the story. And behind every door in every neighborhood, there's a story. And there's there are really great stories. I mean, there's so many inventors here. There's po uh, poets. Uh, there's folks that have got poets or prizes. They're Grammy winners. I mean, it's insane to know what's behind our doors and we don't know it. So this podcast is going to be one of our avenues to have these conversations and uh, i couldn't think of a better way to start with my good friend laddie who has really you know when i first met laddie he was a consultant at the state house <coughs> code word for lobbyist um but he, he he's done a lot of different things but one thing i always respected about laddie is is that he always did what he said he would do he never told you that he was going to help you or be there for you and wasn't and that he always had an interesting business idea. And um, for those of you who don't know, Laddie is, also has a, a custom-made leather business right now that he does out of his house at Arsenal Hill. And think it, correct me if I'm wrong, you've won a Made in the South award too, right? Haven't you? Well, I, I've been in the garden and gun. Um, I haven't made the, I haven't won the award, um, but I've been, I think I've been considered for it. So. Now, in your former life, you were a lobbyist. You couldn't figure out how to lobby to win? I mean, well, I'm starting to question some listen, things here. I don't know here. about former, but, you know, I still dabble a bit. I don't know. You know, life takes you in different directions. And I think one of the serial entrepreneur things um, brought out the art part. So from doing all the state house stuff and that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's interesting because I've seen so many pieces that Laddie's put together uh, going down the street. I notice it now because I know what his little logo is, so I know <laughs> what to look for. But even I was in town getting, um, I had to get a new suit when I got elected. So I went to go get a new a, suit. A new suit? Yeah. Well, I, might, <laughs> I might have gotten a couple new suits. Um, and for a selfish plug, Imperial Clothers on Main Street on the second floor at 1500 block. If you haven't been there, go by there. Willie, really does, Willie does an incredible job. But hanging in his shop is one of Laddie's bags. It's like, I know that bag. But anyway, Laddie, tell us a little bit about about columbia for you because you've grown up here you, you you're married here you got beautiful kids he's got an, his son's this like incredible athlete he must have got it from his mother i don't know but <laughs> hey, it's man. just really it's just really great story but you know one of the first people to live in arsenal hill when when, when people went to reinvest in that community right still living there been part of downtown your family's been you know, I think what, how many generations uh, have been pastors here in our community? Well, my, um, my father is a pastor and I'm, I'm originally from Sumter and I came to Columbia straight out of college to start law school. 
So I've been here for a long time. Are you still in law school? Because you said you started. Well, you never said yeah. you finished. I'm just curious. <laughs> well, listen, the way it feels sometimes, I'm still trying to figure stuff out. So I need to go back if I'm not still in it. But no, I finished law school. I won't say how long ago. But <clears throat> that's, how I, that's how I came to Columbia. So I, um, I don't know. It just always, feel, it's always felt like home because Sumter is only about 30 miles from here or so. I mean, once you get get down Garner's Ferry, you're pretty much in Sumter once you pass Hopkins. So it's, it's just always been home. It's always been home. So I love Columbia. I love having lived here the period that I had. So um, tell us a little bit about the... Uh, the leather business, because that's that's an interesting market. Everybody always asks me that, you know, it's like how they come to the studio and they're surprised because I think people are used to hearing about leather and then seeing what they're used to seeing. You know, they're the gun holsters and the knife sheets and things like that. And then they come because I think they're just generally have some interest in something. And then they come and they see the aesthetic, which is completely different than what you generally get in leather. So. There's more of a, I always like to say when I do, when I do pieces, I like to, I like to create pieces, pieces that look like they came from a purple cow or a green cow, you know, because usually when you see colors of, in leather, they usually look kind of fake or fabricated. So my drive has always been to create a piece that looked like, oh, wow, I didn't know there were purple cows around, you know? You know, there used to be a po purple cow grocery here where Not the products where is today that's right um yeah it had good barbecue really good barbecue but i, st I, I started the, the simple answer and this is what people are always asking me about is my son when we traveled my son would always have his stuff in either my bag or my wife's bag and my wife is she's a girly girl you know and I'm kind of one of those classic guys. I don't have a bunch of anything. You know, guys, we have one bag. We have one cologne, one, one thing that we do all the time, and that defines us. So my son couldn't carry his girly girl thing, you know, and I didn't have enough for him to carry for me to give him one of mine. So I was like, just on a whim, I was, I was doodling, sketching. If, if you're ever around me any place in the restaurant or at a wedding where I'm bored as hell, I'll start doodling. So I was doing that to relax. And then my son needed a bag, so I just started messing with leather instead of doodling to relax. And then people saw the leather, like on Facebook. Social media drives everything, right? So I would post a picture of, this is what I cooked today, so, but only it was, this is a bag that I tried to make today. And the bag would be terrible, you know? Because <laughs> I, I didn't know. I, I'm completely self-taught. I'm a lawyer. I'm a lobbyist. That's what, I, that's what I did. And I started just messing around with leather just to relax. And then people would see, after, after a few months, people would see, you know, some stuff on Facebook that I had done. And they started asking, hey, I want to give somebody one of those bags. Do you have one available? And at first, it shocked me. I was like, that bag? <laughs> But that's how I started because I was I decided to make my son a bag, and people saw it and started got more serious about it because I was seriously I call them doodles. People tell me that I'm I'm artistic or I'm an artist, and I don't think of myself that way. But I have these serious. I don't think you've ever seen any of my doodles. I'll have to show them to you. Some well, point. that means that you just weren't bored when you're around me, so that's a good <laughs> right. thing. So I'm okay with that. And doodling is not a sign of boredom. 
It's you a, just said it was. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. It's a. It's a sign for me. The doodling was a. So I'm an avid wine drinker. Something about me that most yeah, people I know. I notice in all your posts when you're showing these bags, there's always a glass of wine somewhere in there. I'm, I'm an. I'm a big wine drinker. A big wine drinker. But because of my background, where I came from, I've, all, I've always been very uh, cautious about not allowing wine to take up that stress period in my life. You know, being an entrepreneur produces that sometimes. And that's really how I started doodling. It wasn't it's was more of a stress relief or a outlet, not necessarily boredom. But I started doing that because I didn't want to come home from a long day of being an entrepreneur or having been in business and working through this and start drinking a bottle of wine. I always wanted the wine to be something that I enjoyed. So, so you, I got to ask you, because I, I, my brain just going forward, what's the weirdest thing somebody's asked you to make? Oh, oh. Let's, I'm going to be mindful for you, Mr. Mayor, that this is a city of Columbia podcast. And I don't think you want to know the weirdest thing. But let's just hey, suffice it to say. This is, this, this is a G-rated show now. That's so, right. But let's <laughs> So we'll suffice it to say that I make all sorts of accessories from leather um, that people find interesting. But, you know, I focus on the bags and belts and purses and things like that. That, that If you're looking for it, it's Laddie Howard Originals. That's what he's talking about. <laughs> Laddie Howard Originals, folks. You heard it here live today. So you're in the studio. Mm-hmm. You're watching Mason, your son, who's an incredible athlete, play lacrosse. He's play lacrosse, lacrosse over at, at, at Flora. Um, you're about to be an empty nester. I am. So what's that going to do for 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 you in this? You know, are you going to push the envelope on the leather? Are you going to end up, you know, being what you do all the time? Have three things in the hopper. What what, what are you going to do now? Well, I think I'm going to continue to do obviously build the brand um, in order to build a brand though it takes an incredible amount of resources it's not you know it's not just you're in business and you're making money you know it's like <clears throat> you have to do the marketing anyone that's trying to build a brand or, or has built a brand knows that it's, uh, the product is very very important but sometimes more important than the product is the market that you build for the product and that takes an incredible amount of resources and so the answer to your question is, you know, I still have my, my, I'm still a licensed attorney in the state of South Carolina and I'm still into governmental affairs and political stuff. And that's how I've always taken care of my family before I've ventured into finding my passion in life, you know? So I will do a combination of those things so that I can continue to drive the development of this luxury leather brand. So let me ask you, your, your dad was a pastor. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is still? He's still, well, he's... He, he, and he's semi-retired? You know, he's retired now. He's retired. They're now. never really retired. They're always, there's always some event or some, you know, something that they want them to speak at. So, so who would that. you say, your father or your mother is where you got your drive to, to have this entrepreneurial spirit? You know, I, I'm going to skip them because I don't want to start a fight. Um... Both of them are very, obviously, my mother and father. That's a preacher's boy, folks. That's a preacher's boy. <laughs> Staying neutral. Well, you know, my grandfather, um, my, you know, every piece in my collection, which is a, if you know anything about L. Howard, 
and the names of the, the various pieces of my collection. They're, they're named for someone in my family, um, generally. And so my grandfather's, I, I, two, two distinct, I, so I make these weekender bags, these travel bags. And my two main designs are the Louis and the Robert. Louis is my maternal grandfather and Robert is my paternal grandfather. And so my, my grandfather, Louis, was really the one who had, he, he had seven children and he put all of them, anybody who wanted to go to college, his children went to college and all this stuff, but my grandfather was a farmer. Um, and so during the period of time, you know, we we're talking about doing that period of time for a man like that to put seven children through college and do all the things that he did. He was a business person. My grandfather owned his tractors. He had hundreds of acres of land. Um, you know, we, he, he grew and we bought my parents and my aunts and uncles every year. They would pay a certain amount to my grandfather to process whatever cow or pig or whatever. My grand, my grandmother's garden was a field <laughs> almost, you know? So the way that I grew up with my grandparents watching, I guess, like my granddaddy, Louie, was probably a big inspiration. Now we used to have these conversations that people don't know about. My, we would always be, because I was a grandson that was always around. There were a bunch of girls in my family. Um, there were three female cousins that lived with my grandparents. My uncle Donald that lived up the street from them had three girls. You know, I have a sister, just all of these girls around. So I used to spend a lot of time in the country with my granddad and I was the only boy. What so, he's trying to tell us is he knows how to sew because he grew up around a bunch of women. I do know how to, to sew. sew. My Aunt Newton, my, my, my um, grandmother, and my mother, they sewed all the time. So I guess that's where <laughs> I picked it up from. Now, you know, it's not the you know, manly thing to say, but I, I do know how to sew. I, I, I figured, you know I, what? I've taught myself how to sew. You can do something that a lot of people can't. Right. That's, that's pretty spectacular. You know talent. what else I can do? I can make preserves. I can sew and I know how to make preserves. Fig preserve. You're going to make a good husband one day. <laughs> one day. <laughs> <laughs> My stuff all is practicing. I, I do have to say, listening to you with the name of the bags, and I didn't realize the Louis was your maternal grandfather. Right. But what's funny about it is now you hear all these ladies walking around going, oh, Louis this, Louis that. And, mm. and now I can say, y'all don't know what you're talking about. There's only one Louis bag. That's right. And it's made over on Arsenal Hill. You don't have one? Yeah, it's not. It has it's gonna be to fun. I wanna have fun with this. Yeah, well, so it was, it was grand. I guess it was my grandfather Louis. He always, he would always try to talk me into being a farmer, right? And I knew I wasn't gonna do that, although I'm very country. But I would always tell him. He'd say, "You, you gonna be a farmer when you grow up?" I don't think my granddad wanted me to be a farmer, but he would always ask me that, and I would be like, "Man, I can't get no dirt on my shoes. I can't get no dirt on my shoes." That's what I would, I would always say to him. But he, you know, he did everything that he did being a farmer. And when he had to get an extra job, because at one point, you know, the economy being what it was, it was that tough. My grandfather continued to farm and he was a security guard. So he did those two things. Um, but that I think that's really where I first saw it, because he really all. Any kid of his, any child of his that wanted to go to college went to college. Well, I you know, think the bigger Amber. story there, Laddie, is, is, is you're sitting there and you're talking about it and you go, all right, you know, you've led yourself to that path that, that he was the, the influence for you. He wasn't just a farmer because there's right. one thing I know about farmers. They're dumb like foxes. <laughs> 
Don't ever let them fool you. They always tell you they're broke and this and that. But they're the most innovative people you've ever met. They can fix anything. They can figure out anything. And they make it. They adapt to the situations. Some of the most probably interesting conversations I've had with people who have been farmers all their lives because they just they have a knack of understanding how to solve problems. But they also understand how to be innovative enough to create a market out of something. I mean... Uh, you know, as they say, you know, making chicken salad out of chicken. People understand how to do it, and that, yeah. and that, and I think that's that's where you got it. Yeah. So, if there was one thing that could help you take the, your business to the next level, what do you think it would be? What would it be? Well, practically, I think you know what it would be would be doing a much more, a much better job in marketing and building that I have, when I started doing what I'm doing, I didn't do it to be in business or anything like that. I, it's a pure artistic passion and an outlet that grew into something else. Um, so I started off when people, I'll, I'll back up. The first thing that anyone close to me said about doing this business was that, Oh man, you got to go to China. Right, go to China, get these bags. Nobody cares. Just put your name on them. You do the marketing. And I was like, I'm never going to do that. If you know anything about me, I'm not going to go to China and have the you know, same bag that's produced in the same factory that everybody else is getting it, like the all these big brands that people buy. That's not my story. If I do something, if I'm going to put my name on it, I'm going to do it. So the, the, the impetus or the first part of this story really started with me learning how to sew and make a bag and make it lay down and make it fold. And each piece is actually designed and made by me. And so I have put that time and that effort into actually handcrafting each piece. Now, you don't scale that way, obviously. You can't build a business beyond where we are by me making every single piece. But the authenticity of the brand. Well, if you end up being able to charge enough, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm running into the problem now. Of it's, it's just, it's so much. It's so much. People do not understand. They see your stuff, they like it, and they pl- they pay you the up, you know, the the highest compliment of wanting one of your pieces. But what they're missing in all of that is the artistic drain that goes into. Okay, I'm going to tweak this just a little bit to satisfy someone's desire to have this thing this way. Figuring all of that out when you already have a design, actually handcrafting that, and then doing it in a way where you keep up with people coming and saying, "Hey, I want this, I want that." You know, doing that when you're still building an authentic story. It, you know, at some point I need someone to cut the top of my head off and just pour in a whole lot more energy because I'm at the at the point where it feels like you just get so drained by that. But that's the authentic part of the story is I actually do that. So what takes it to the next level is getting away from just that part of the story to actually developing the story of the brand and building that out beyond myself because that's what I've had to do. You know, I, I, I make every piece. So now it's getting to getting beyond my studio, getting the story out and really building the marketing story and the perception beyond Columbia for me. All right, so now I got I got to ask a, a question that stems around, you know, I I know you love wine, but I also know that you're a big oyster eater. That you love oysters and fried, dyed, sautéed, however raw, you got them, whatever. give them to me. All right, so I live in Columbia, South Carolina. 
where do I go to get the best oysters? Well, now, it, that's a good question. Had it been five or ten years ago, I would have told you Hampton Street Vineyard. Because that's where I had the first flash fried oysters and they were the best. They are no longer, well, the ownership has changed. So now it's just Hampton Street, I think. Now I go to Saluda, Steve Cook's place. They do a really good job there. They, we, I, I love their oysters there. So I like a good Sancerre with my oysters or, you know, a Sol Blanc or something like that. Now I started drinking martinis with them. The bartender over there makes a great martini. I like gin martinis, by the way, not vodka martinis. I'm a gin martini guy, but I really like a blue cheese stuffed olive with it. So a little bit of that blue cheese gets in the, yeah. into, into that gin. Oh, man, that's that to me, that's the ultimate way to start a meal. Now, you know what I've learned about martinis since I started going to, to Saludas and, and eating oysters and drinking martinis? As I've always liked James Bond, right? But I always thought that was a bunch of nonsense. Oh, shaken, not stirred, you know. Just like when you're drinking wine. Like I got into wine, I realized what all of the stuff was about. Because I can look at wine in a glass, just look at the color and know what it is without tasting. I know the color, different colors in reds and whites. I can tell you what it is. But when I started drinking martinis, I understand why I like mine shaken now. I want my martinis shaken, not stirred. You know, it's just like it's a different temperature. It's, it's a different mix blend. That's the right. Way, the way it it rolls on across the ice your shards. Tongue, when you shake it, you get the ice shards, and that's in that martini when you're drinking it. So that's the way I like it. Making a martini is an art. It's truly. I've had great ones. I've had bad ones. I loved them all because mm -hmm. I finished them. But the reality is, I like a good martini. Well, bottom line, salute us then when it comes to oysters. And the, and the martinis. You heard that shameless plug here today live. <laughs> well, Laddie, so you got the leather business. You're getting ready to be an empty nester. You're you're getting back into politics a little bit. Um, a lot. <laughs> getting back with, with, you know, some of your former client bases, picking up new clients. What do you, what do you see the climate? I mean, you, here you are a guy in Columbia, South Carolina, who a lot of people know, mm -hmm. well-known, I consider a leader in the African-American community. What do you see the politics like today? Do you think people are still driven left, right? And, and, and you know, is it all about D's and R's or is it, is it more people more worried about driving in the middle and really worried about, you know, their quality of life and, and their businesses, you know, the pandemic kind of changed the way we look at things. I mean, look, we can't compare what's going on in Washington. Washington's Washington. It's going to be right. what it is. But I mean, what's your take on local, local politics or state politics as we, we see here? Well, I think sadly, I think we, I think, I think there are large factions of people that are driven by the D's and the R's. Um, that's unfortunate because you know, I think both parties, you know, we have a we have the um, this two party system the way that we have it because we rely on both parties to balance each other out. So traditionally, you know, it was genius to have this sort of this sort of system. <clears throat> it's too bad that we've gotten so separated in those things, and we don't appreciate how you know a Republican position on anti tax and a balancing that out goes along with a Democratic. Um, a more democratic viewpoint on how do we provide the most for our citizenry 
you know, because those things are supposed to balance each other out and they're not supposed to be something that creates, you know, just this, this huge political or racial divide between us. Um, people trying to gain control over time have used it that way. Um, but I think there's a large core to get to the crux of what really has to happen and what is, I think, happening is beyond race, beyond all of those old notions about politics, I think people are seeing right down the middle. And sometimes they're going to have politics that might seem to be more Republican viewpoints. And sometimes they might be more Democratic um, viewpoints. But we get be I think we have to get beyond I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican. And I think more and more people are getting that way, whether they are black or white, you know, Chinese. I mean, we have a very diverse population in Colombia. We have a large military base, so we have a diverse population here as well, which is great for Colombia. So I think we're beyond, I think we're getting beyond that, but I think it takes people in our generation that are bold enough to not, to not be afraid to speak out against what people, where people want to pigeonhole us. And I think that we have people that are willing to do that when more you, and more now. When you look at historically across scope and we've had a vast of politicians over the years i mean just uh, from every spectrum when you look at that and you look back historically who would you say was a politician that you kind of leaned to that you thought hey this person yeah i connect with him for a whole lot of reasons or her you know who is that person that you kind of, you know, you like quotes from, you like to read a little bit about because you're learning more about them? Who's that 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 person in your political world? So, I mean, you're limiting me to to, to one, and I want to say three because well, say three. There's no well, limit. This is a okay. podcast. We can do anything. All right. Well, the first one I would give, I would pay homage um, to is is Senator Kay Patterson, probably. Senator Kay Patterson was. Oh, well, yeah. well, I, I, I can hear him right now. Right. And, and so anyone who knows anything about South Carolina politics knows about Senator Kay Patterson, especially if you're from Columbia. But the way that he spoke, um, the way that he um, never BS'd anybody, you know, never be it. Now, if you didn't want to get it and get it straight, don't go to him. But he was a man for his people, and he was a man that understood the environment that he had to operate in, and I think he did that very well. So he would be the first person being a South Carolina born and raised person. He was always one of the people that I wanted to hear speak, even if I didn't agree with what he yeah. was speaking on. <laughs> I just wanted to hear him speak because he, you know, he'd start off with his little signatures lines. He'd throw a little bit of Bible in there uh -huh. and he'd just keep on. But he was an incredible, incredible captive. I remember sitting in his office one time. I went and sat down with him. I'm like, I mean, who taught you? He said, I've been, I've been preaching my whole life. That's right. Uh, and he believed that, but man, what a sincere person! Very sincere. And so then I'll, I'll get to it real quick. Then the uh, this these two, this one will shock you, um, but the next person that I really admire is Strom Thurmond, believe it or not. And then of course with Strom Thurmond, I worked for Senator Fitzhalling, so those would be my other two. But particularly about Strom Thurmond, and we understand the Dixiecrats and the racial politics of the time and me being an African-American country boy and, and, and how I grew up and those things I feel very strongly about, especially as they relate to my people and the experiences that we've had. But being a young black kid from Sumter, South Carolina, I mean, I gotta tell you, 
I was fortunate enough. I did well in school. I went to school on on full scholarships. Um, but my first scholarship to college, coming out of Sumter, South Carolina, I got an ROTC scholarship. And this is and we got to talk about race just a little bit. And when you talk about I mean uh, Strom Thurmond, it's appropriate to talk about race because he, he's such a racially identified figure with the Dixiecrats and all that period of time. But what happened with me coming out of Sumter? I got a full four-year ROTC scholarship. I had to go and take the physical to get that ROTC scholarship. And someone's kid, I learned years later, a white kid did not, was not in a position to be able to receive that scholarship because he was wilding out a bit. They switched my test results for that physical with that kid's. And the test came back and said that I was basically drunk when I went for my physical for the ROTC scholarship. You know whose office found, got to the bottom of that and made sure I got my scholarship? It was Strom Thurmond. It was Strom Thurmond. He, he worked through all that and his staff worked through it. And I, I went to South Carolina State on a full four-year Army ROTC scholarship because that happened to me in high school and that guy, who we all know his history and how we identify with him, his staff worked out. And he didn't just do that for me. I mean, Strom Thurmond, with all of that, all of those theatrics and all that stuff, he did that for a lot of people, you know? And he did that for me. So that's part of my story. So I have to pay homage to him. And then, of course, you know, you want to listen to someone talk. Now, Senator Hollings, man, there is no one ever in the history of politics that's going to have that sort of presence, that Charleston brogue and those. I remember when I walked in as his intern in D.C. back in college, I walked in and he was sitting down with all of his interns. You know, he's silver haired, you know, his statue and all that. We all walk in and he has something to say to everybody as they walk in. And I walked in like once again, a little country kid. He's a Larry Holland. You know, he talked, man. He called my name. He's like, I hear you're going to talk my head off. And, you know, that was my first conversation with Fritz Hollins. And then just went from that. I had a great experience being one of his interns. So Very interesting um, grouping. Yeah. Kate but Patterson, all, but all, Strong Thurman, Fritz Hollins. But all personal touches, all people from South Carolina mm -hmm. who mean things, different things to different people. You know, but it is funny. I've heard so many stories from people over the years about Strom Thurmond, about what he did for South Carolinians, didn't matter who they were. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you look at the history of it, and, and it's interesting to see because you hear those personal stories. Um, I think that's why Strom, the Strom Thurmond, you know, Wellness Center is still named the Strom Thurmond. I think right. there's just too many stories like that for people to – to push that away is kind of interesting. And then, you know, Fritz, I mean, Fritz, I mean, the two of them, you talk about two extreme two, personalities, man. but the perfect dichotomy. But the beauty part was, is you, those guys, when it came to our state and our citizens, they could, could, they could put party politics aside and come together and get what was needed for, for us. And that, that's, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, that dialogue. And I think that's, you know, something missing today with the tweets and the Zoom meetings and stuff. Those guys talk to each other. 
And I do think that's 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 what's missing today is that that interaction, that personal interaction. I'd much rather sit with somebody. I'll drive five hours to go have a conversation with them because next time when I have a conversation with them on the phone or whatever, I know their body language. I know mm -hmm. what they mean and I know how to take it. You get an email today. Well, what do you mean by that? You know, or you get a text. Well, are they are they mad or are they right. being you know sarcastic or I don't know how to take it, and it causes too much doubt, and so things don't move forward. But that's very interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, as as we've been talking about this podcast, and we've talked a little bit about you know business, we've talked about food. You know, food's a big thing for me, so. I have to ask, what was your favorite childhood meal? Oh, man. I, you know, <coughs> listen, I'm from Bamberg. My mother's from Bamberg. Wait a minute. South you Carolina. just said you're from Sumner. I am, I mean, but I grew up in Bamberg. I, mean, I told you my, my grandfather you Lewis. Man, listen, I got around. <laughs> no, so my, my mom's from Bamberg and my dad's from Sumter. And so, so you drove through Nieces to get from one place to the other. Uh, yeah. yeah. You um, know, there's a little Chinese place in Nieces right across from the food city. And on the sign, it says, if chicken's it, the wing's the thing, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to check that place out because I don't know about that one. But it, my favorite thing, um, man, you know, when you when you spend time in the country, like really from the country, the way my, my um, mother grew up and my father grew up, things were really regimented. And so my... my um, I mean, I don't know many Southern people that can't cook, I guess, but my folk can really cook. Um, but I grew up with some simple things. And one of my favorite things is probably, you know, I'm going to sound really country when I say this, but every night for supper, because see, we had breakfast, we had dinner, and we didn't have lunch. Right. You we had, had supper. We had breakfast, dinner, and supper. And my, my grandmother had this square skillet thing electric skillet that you plug in and they used to make batter bread you know what batter bread is batter bread is like a huge unsweetened pancake but because they preserved everything we had you know pear trees and figs and all of that stuff everything was preserved my grandfather used to go to the farmer's market and come back you know people go to the market now and think they're doing something they come back with a little basket of strawberries or apples or something i I'm just fortunate enough that I'm the right age that I grew up with that stuff for real. Like I, I grew up with the, the pig hanging from the pecan tree and actually did that and all that stuff. So my grandfather would go to the farmer's market and come back with bushels of apples and bushels of peaches and things like that. I remember Saturday mornings, you know, when I would wake up watching Soul Train and smell the peaches in the kitchen cooking because right, my grandfather was like, oh, 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 you just went down the path. So I have to know. What? Did you have roller skates and were you roller skating around the house as you were watching Soul Train? You know my grandparents. I, I don't know many grandparents that are going to let you roller skate in their house. No, I didn't do that, but I watched Soul Train on Saturday mornings. With so them. did I. Yeah. So we would have all of these, you know, whatever didn't grow on the farm, my grandfather would bring back. And so the, all that stuff would get canned and stuff. So one of my favorite things from childhood is batter bread with either that pear preserve or peach preserve or apples that we just loaded on, loaded up on at the, uh, at, at supper. And that's, that's what we ate a lot of nights, you know, life in, in the country is pretty simple. You know, we didn't go to the grocery store a whole lot. When my, when my grandmother went to the grocery store, 
you know, she would get things like staples that they didn't really make, like butter or because they didn't buy Crisco and all that stuff. Because the lard they, came they, from they, when they, they yeah. when we did the, the they reused the, everything. We used everything, so we had a big, and people don't even. We had a closet. It, it wasn't even refrigerated, but they cooked so much that we had this big three gallon, five gallon tin in the in the closet, the pantry in my grandmother's kitchen, full of, full of lard, full of lard. That so we didn't buy any of this. They didn't buy any of that stuff. That's why so, everything tastes so good. Oh man, so. In the evenings, you know, and, and, and the chickens and all that stuff, they were outside. I grew up with, I would walk outside, there were dogs, cats, chickens, turkeys, pigs, cows, everything there. So we, we ate from the farm. Um, now at home in Sumter, my parents, of course, they both went to college and worked hard, but, you know, they went to the grocery store because they didn't live on a farm. But when my experience growing up, a big part of my experience, and I'm not talking about once or twice, I, I was at my grandparents' house for the summers. You know, I was there all the time. So I didn't go visit for a day or so I was there. So that's, that's a big part of my childhood. Now at home, my, my mother used to make pork and beans and rice every Thursday <laughs> with hot dogs. Simple little thing. My grandmother, I, I got to spend a lot of time in the summer with my grandparents. And, and my grandmother had a huge garden. I mean, like a huge garden. And she, she had blackberries, raspberries, tomatoes, lettuce. You know, we in every same thing, you know, we had a big breakfast, you had a big lunch and then we had supper and, and it was always something different. And she made something from everything that we had. And, and I think about all of those meals and you talking about the preserves and, you know, she, she would make this little take leftover bread, make this really, really thin um toast like french toast mm -hmm. and you put a little cinnamon sugar on it and it'd be strawberry rhubarb preserves to go on top of it this little yeah, compost man. that she would make and you'd eat that and she'd take green onions and make this like spread and just have this little these little sandwiches that you, i can't even figure out how to make them they're just so good but it's because they used real they used all real ingredients mm -hmm. and they used they had a way to use everything that was left over homemade ice cream and and fresh berries and tomatoes and man i just but see I, I grew up with um the, we used to pick blackberries all the time have you ever picked blackberries mm -hmm. so if you ever pick blackberries you know what the caught the, the hands ain't it that's not the issue the issue is the red bugs because if you pick black um, blackberries then you got to make sure you wear tight clothes so those bugs won't get into those nether regions and I used to pick those all the time. <laughs> and we we used to have we used to have some times after we got back from picking blackberries. But my mother would take those blackberries, and one of my favorite things at home with Catherine, my mother, is she used to make me blackberry cobbler all the time from those blackberries that we picked. Well, speaking of cobbler, I had Mayor Barry Walker in my office this morning, and from you know what? And you know what he didn't bring me? What peach cobbler? Oh, I told him he thing. can't come back unless you bring some peach cobbler. That's his Don't thing. come and ask me for something if you're not bringing something. Isn't that what happens in the South? That's but, one of the great things about Columbia too is is people like Barry Walker and those experiences. Because if you're going to go to Barry Walker's place when he used to have Max he's on Main and the Fatback Band, that's right. You would have you would have that cobbler. Now, I remember something about you that a lot of people may not remember. It was that most people that I talk to can't talk about Daniel Rickman without talking about birds on a wire. Now that 
with some good stuff there, man. You know, it's so funny is I, I probably get once a month somebody emailing me about a recipe and I have all the recipe books and, and I keep saying one day somebody's going to come, a young guy or gal's going to come to me and say, you know, I grew up there. I, I want to redo that. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'll be glad to work with you. I just don't want to work for you. <laughs> well, you <laughs> got to bring back. That was, man, there, I have not run into a person that recalls that. And there are lots of people that recall it because birds on a wire was a thing. It it's was. a sad thing that it went away. We still, we still have all the recipes, maybe one day, but Hey, you know, this has been great for us to, to hang out and, and talk a little bit. And for people in Columbia who don't know you to get to know you. And, and this is kind of what we've talked about telling our story. So I'm excited about it, but as we're getting ready to close out, I got to ask mm -hmm. if there, if there was one business that you wanted to have in Columbia, South Carolina, mm -hmm. Any business, not necessarily for yourself, but for Columbia, what would it be? Well, you know, you got to look to the future. And I believe that just like a lot of people, that as we're moving into the, we're more and more in the computer and the digital age, that our currency is going to change. And if you're going to look for a business to be in Columbia, it has to be something relative to cryptocurrency. So I would think a business that is centered around cryptocurrency would be what I would want to see come to downtown Columbia and have well, a major presence I, here. I will tell you, Laddie, it's kind of funny you said that because if you stay tuned in the next couple of weeks, you might hear a story about that. Well, I'm going to definitely stay tuned. I'm definitely going to stay tuned. Hey, I want to thank my guest, Laddie Howard, for being here today. Not only a good friend, but an incredible citizen, a guy who has probably more ideas than we have time. Um, great to hear the background about your grandparents and your family and your it, it, it's interesting because when you learn those type of things you le you learn a little bit more how people think and how they move forward um i'm glad to see you didn't doodle while we were on air that was a good thing so we weren't <laughs> boring but hey laddie thanks for being here well thanks for having me i really enjoyed it